0: If you would, please open up your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 15. We'll be reading starting in verse 7, and if you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 12. Genesis 15, starting with verse 7. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know I will inherit it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, "'Know certainly that your your descendants "'will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, "'and will serve them, "'and they will afflict them four hundred years. "'And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. "'Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. "'Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. "'You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenzanites the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Raphaim, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites.
1: As I mentioned this morning, don't forget that on Wednesday evening we will have a singing night, and we encourage you to be here to participate in that with us as we uh, praise God on the day before we we uh, give thanks over a meal. Let's uh, be sure to prioritize in that fashion. We hope you'll be here with us. Also, next Sunday starts our new uh, quarter, so be, be aware of the class changes that are happening there. And also pay attention to the upcoming month of prayer that we are uh, conducting next month. We'd love for your participation in that as well. With that being said, last week we were in Genesis chapter 15, looking at the first six verses, and there we learned that Abram was afraid. And he needed God's reassurance, but what Abram was afraid about, it it was the key. He was afraid because he didn't understand how God was going to fulfill his promise of giving him a child. Now, God calmed Abram's fear by promising that, that Abram himself, that he would have his very own son, his very own son would be his heir. And then God showed Abram Uh, the stars in the sky asked him to count them and indicated that the number of the stars in the sky would be the number of his descendants. That's all it took for Abram's fear to subside. And we're told in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 that Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to Abram as righteousness. But the promise of an heir was not the only promise that God had made to Abram. Prior to their interaction here in Genesis chapter 15, God had spoken to Abram on three previous occasions. And on all three of those occasions that are recorded in Scripture, God emphasized a promise of land. If you jump back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, where the relationship between Abram and God began, you'll see that God ordered Abram to leave his current land, to go from his country and from his kindred, and from his father's house to a land that God would show him. Once Abram arrived in that land, you can look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 12, and God speaks for the second time, and he says, To your offspring I will give this land. And then in chapter 13, after Abram had come back from his sojourn in Egypt, and he had separated from Lot due to the size of their herds, God spoke for the third time. and In Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 through 17, he said this, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. You see, there's no doubt to Abram what land he's supposed to possess. God has not been vague on that matter. He's made it known where the land is that will belong to Abram and his descendants. So for Abram, God's promise of a land claim was never a question of where, but it was a question of when. That's why when God said in Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess... Abram responded by asking in verse eight, 8, oh O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You know, at first glance, it seems as if Abram is expressing doubt regarding God's promise to give him this land. Just as he expressed fear regarding how God was going to, to bless him, it's like he's expressing doubt. And that's very fascinating because what did verse 6 just tell us? What did we read about Abram in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15? We read that he believed the Lord. Is he now contradicting that belief by expressing some degree of doubt? Here's the thing. Abram's not doubting God's promise to give him the land. Abram's asking for a sign, for a confirmation through tangible evidence that this is going to happen. And asking for a sign does not imply unbelief. See, here Abram is like Gideon, who, if you go over to Judges chapter 6, asks for a sign to confirm that God would be with him in his military endeavors. After God had already said, I will be with you. And Abram is like Hezekiah, who in 2 Kings chapter 20 asked for a sign to confirm that God would heal him after God had already said, I will heal you. You see, whether you're talking about Abram, or Gideon, or Hezekiah, they're asking for some form of confirmation after God had already issued the promise. And the fascinating thing is that in, in none of those instances does God show frustration or disappointment at the request for surety. Instead, God willingly cooperates with their request. For Gideon, he makes dew appear on the fleece and then makes and, and not on the ground, and then he makes dew appear on the ground and not on the fleece, Judges chapter 6. For Hezekiah, he makes a shadow go back ten steps, 2 Kings chapter 20. And for Abram, he instructed Abram to get some animals, and Abram knew right away what to do. Because in the very next verse, Abram starts cutting these animals in half and placing the severed halves of their bodies opposite one another on the ground. It sounds very disturbing, I know. But in that culture, this was how you made a very serious covenant with someone. In In fact, the Hebrew expression for make a covenant, which appears in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, it literally means cut a covenant. And what would happen is that after the animal's body has been severed and set opposite each other on the ground, the two parties involved in the covenant would walk between the severed animal. And the implication was, may what has happened to this animal happen to me if I don't keep my word, if I don't fulfill the terms of this covenant, if I don't do what I'm said I would do. So Abram cuts the animal in two, except for the birds, assumedly because of their size. And then he puts the halves of the animals in the right place. And then Abram takes a nap. Not because he was tired, but because God made a deep sleep fall on him, according to verse 12. And while Abram slept, God showed up in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And those symbols of his presence passed through the animals. Confirming the covenant that he was making with Abram that day. And what's so fascinating to me is that this is the first time the Bible says God visibly showed up on earth since the Garden of Eden. Now, maybe he did other times, but this is the first time it's recorded for us, that after his walking in the garden, this is the first time there's mention of him making some sort of visible presence on earth. And I think it's an indication that this whole land claim business was a big deal to God. But What I want us to focus on tonight is what God, in fact, communicates to Abram during this whole covenant ceremony thing. Because there's three main things that God communicates to Abram that night, even though Abram is asleep. The first thing that God communicates to Abram that evening is that the land is yours. The land is his. That the land is Abram's. The land is yours. See, if you look here, you'll notice that God does not offer predictions He doesn't offer prophecy. He offers a decree. He makes a declaration. He makes a proclamation. He's not speculating on anything. He's announcing the way things are going to be. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, he says, To your offspring I give this land. Now actually, that word give in the Hebrew is what they call a prophetic perfect tense. That means that God is speaking of a future event as if it has already happened. In fact, some translations, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the New American Standard Version, they convey this more clearly. They say, I have given this land. I have have given this land. It's already been done. That's what God is saying. He's saying, this land is yours, Abram. It's a done deal. I've already made it happen. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to worry about it. It's done. How can God already make it happen. One preacher says that God lives in the ever-present tense. And what he means by that is that God's outside the time limitations that bind us, so God can look at what he is going to do in the future, and he can announce it in any time that he wants, as if it's a done deal. Because God's not limited by time like you and I are. And I believe that's what he's doing here. Because we don't read about Abram's descendants possessing this land until we get to Joshua. And it's in Joshua chapter 21 and verse 43 that after describing the distribution of the land to the tribes of Israel, the Bible says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. It took centuries to get to that point. It took centuries for Israel, for the descendants of Abram, to actually possess the land. But God spoke of it as a definite reality to Abram before Abram even had a descendant. And that tells us that God's promises are dependable because they depend on him. And that actually takes us into the second thing that he communicates to Abram that night. He communicates the fact that the guarantee is mine, is his, is God's. I know that terminology gets tricky when I'm speaking, but God is saying the guarantee is mine. See, while this ceremony was customary in Abram's day, there was something about this particular ceremony that was unusual. And that was the fact that only one party was involved. When this ceremony was used, it was typical to have two parties involved because you were making a covenant between one another. But if you look at Genesis chapter 15, particularly at verse 17, you'll notice that God is the only one who goes through the pieces of the animals. Abram was asleep. Abram didn't pass through the animals, so technically speaking, Abram agreed to nothing. It's all about God. God's the only one making a covenant here, actually. See, God... God walks through the pieces. God makes the covenant because God is guaranteeing these promises based on his own character. Abram's not going to be keeping the covenant. God is. The covenant is going to solely depend on the faithfulness of God. And I want you to read with me a section of Hebrews chapter 6 really quick. Because I I think the author of Hebrews picks up on this this idea that that it's God alone and that God is guaranteeing this covenant of himself. Hebrews chapter 6. Begin reading with me in verse 13. We'll go through verse 18. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What I think the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate is that we should be encouraged by what God did for Abraham. God's guarantee to Abraham, swearing by himself that he will keep every promise he made to Abraham, that should give us great hope because it reveals the unchanging nature of God and his word. And so God is communicating to Abraham that he's guaranteeing the fulfillment of these promises, the fulfillment of this covenant, because of who he is. His word is binding and his word is final. But there's one final thing that God does communicate to Abram here. And that is something that Abram hadn't heard yet. Which is that the possession of the land is going to be delayed. Look at what God said, beginning in verse 13 of Genesis 15. In verse 13, he says, Your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And it's not until you get down to verse 16 that he says, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now take just a moment and put yourself in Abram's shoes. Think about this from his perspective as he hears God communicating this. Thus far, he's constantly heard that God was going to bless him and that that the world was going to be blessed through him. Remember that initial promise. It's back in Genesis chapter 12, and it goes like this. God says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The whole statement that God gives, that initial conversation, is all about blessing. But now all of a sudden, seemingly out of left field, God drops this reference to 400 years of slavery. And what God is doing, God is revealing more of his grand plan, more of his grand story to Abram. And what Abram is finding out is that just because God promised a blessed story doesn't mean he won't include some hard chapters. And one of those difficult chapters was entitled Waiting on the Canaanites. Now, References specifically made to the Amorites, but they were of the Canaanites, and oftentimes, sometimes, oftentimes the term Amorites is used in exchange for Canaanites just to refer to the people of the land. And so, what God is saying is that Abram, you, you can't have the land yet. I can't judge the Canaanites yet, the people of the land yet. They need another 400 years to let their sin reach its full measure, to reach its completion. In the amazing grace of God, the Canaanites are granted four more centuries to live in the land until their morality became so corrupt that God could no longer tolerate their immoral behavior. And by granting them that extra time, God negated all questions regarding the righteousness of his judgment on them. nobody can accuse God of not being patient. Nobody can accuse God of not being long-suffering. Nobody can accuse God of not being merciful, and nobody can accuse God of not being just. He put his own people, his own chosen people in slavery to give more time to an immoral nation. So God says, Abram, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is you're going to to live to be an old man. And you're going to die peacefully. But the bad news is you're never going to personally realize the possession of this land. You know, when Abram dies, the only piece of the promised land that he could claim was a cave in which he buried his wife. So God says, God communicates that the possession of this land is delayed. And what's fascinating is that Abram doesn't get upset. Abram accepts those terms. See, God communicates something to to Abram here that's powerful because Abram was the first follower, and scripture holds Abram up as the model of faith that we should follow. I think we should look at his story as a metaphor for our story, and I think the very things that God was communicating to Abram, he's communicating to us. See, God says that the land is yours, that the land is ours. But for us, God is not referring to a physical land. He's referring to a spiritual land. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Jesus told his disciples that his departure from this world was necessary in order for him to prepare a new home, a new residence, a new land for us. For us. He's not in heaven maintaining it for God. He's not in heaven maintaining it for himself. He's not in heaven maintaining it for the angels. He's in heaven preparing for our arrival. And here we are at the week of Thanksgiving, and I know there's a great number of you out there that are going to spend most of this week getting your house ready for people's arrival. You're going to be worried about every nook and cranny and making sure it doesn't look like you ever get the house dirty, and you're going to make it look like your house is always perfect, and you're going to make it look like it was just bought brand new because we want our guests to feel welcome and to not think that we're slobs. But you're going to spend your week getting ready for people to come into your home. And Scripture says that that's what Jesus is doing for us, that he's preparing heaven, this place, this new Jerusalem for us. How beautiful is it that God, that Jesus is preparing for our visitation. How humbling is it that Jesus is spending his time preparing for our arrival. The land is yours. But God also communicates this, that the guarantee is mine, that he's still the guarantor. During the Last Supper, Jesus broke some bread and told his disciples to eat it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he took a cup and told them to drink it. And he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And in so doing, Jesus engaged in a ceremony, if you'll allow me to use such language, that revealed exactly how he guarantees this new covenant. And it would not involve the shedding of animals' blood, as it did with Abram, but it would involve the shedding of his own blood. And because of that, this new covenant depends solely on him. Just like the covenant with Abram depended solely on God. What that means is that you and I did nothing to secure or guarantee this covenant. And that's the point of such passages as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4-9, through nine, where we're told that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in or together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He repeats that again. By grace you have been saved in verse 8. And he goes on to say, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. The guarantee is his, not ours. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 reiterates this as well. It says that Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We were not able to be righteous on our own. We needed a different guarantee. So just like Abram, the only role we have in this covenant is to trust and obey. Because God is the one guaranteeing it, not us. And just like Abram, God communicates to us that the possession is delayed. You know, there were a couple of verses in Second Peter chapter 3 that we didn't read or talk about this morning. And I want to draw your attention to those this evening. It's Second Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 in particular. And, and Peter is addressing why God has delayed his fulfilling of the promise to send Jesus back to bring us to our new eternal home. And Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He said, Do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is, a, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Just like he did in the days of the Canaanites, he gave more time. He hasn't returned because he's giving someone more time. Why does God wait? He waits for the full measure of sin to be reached. He's not going to judge the world until until it reaches that depraved point, but he's also waiting because there are still some out there who he wants to give more time. In other words, God has delayed not because he doesn't love us and doesn't want us to receive our new home. He's delayed because he loves everyone and he wants to give everyone a chance to claim their new home. So the possession is delayed. Maybe it's being delayed for you. So let me close with this one simple thought. Following God, which that's been our theme this year and really ultimately the theme of this whole series on Abraham. Following God means choosing to live in the future tense. Here's what I mean by that. Abram never realized the promise of that land. He, he, he never got to take possession of it like his descendants would but he lived in the confidence that one day they would. His decisions in his life were predicated on the promise that God had made about that land. And I think that's why he's held up all throughout the New Testament as our model. He never asks God about the land again. He never questions God's promise of the land again. It never comes up. He'll die without owning Anything but a cave. But he never questions God's promise. He had seen and heard enough, and he spent the rest of his life embracing a future reality as his present encouragement. And I think the Bible is communicating to us that his story is our story, and that his example is our inspiration, as one minister said. And so if you look at one final verse with me, it's Hebrews chapter 11. It's Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, the faith hall of fame, where Abraham is identified as one of those residents. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, we're told that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now look at verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 11. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was living in the future tense. Do you live in the future tense? Are all the decisions and actions and thoughts of your life geared toward the reward that we are waiting for. Are you living in the present reality attentive to the future reality? God is delayed, but God is also faithful. And one day Christ will return, and one day he will take us to our new land that we will possess that he's been preparing for us. The question is, are you ready to inhabit that land? As I alluded to a moment ago, there may be someone here tonight that God is delaying for. And if that's you, make him delay no longer. Today, right now, tonight, as we're here, you have the opportunity to claim your inheritance by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, by repenting of your sins, and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. Today is your opportunity to lay claim to the promises that God has made. If you need to do that, we encourage you to come while together we stand and sing.